Welcome back to the Adventure Geeks podcast. Eric here. This is Ian. How are we all doing tonight? And Ray. And we are, again, bringing the imagination of our fiction into reality through nature. So, a couple big things coming out tonight. First off, the three of us decided that we were going <coughs> to partake in something good for our well-being. And is, act, and it yeah. is actually a bit, uh, quite a bit popular. It's almost like No Shave November. We are I doing. No Shave November. I kind of do it all the time. Well, so yeah, if, if you don't <laughs> shave, you, if you shave, you look at you got baby face going. Yep. On. What's the What's the point behind that? No Shave November. I think yeah. it was for some sort of um, cancer support. Okay. I think I don't like, remember. Like, like the guys took a challenge. No, I think there was actually like some sort of foundation attached to it. Okay. Oh yeah, Ice Pocket Challenge did do that. I thought. Okay, yeah, that was ALS. Yeah, right? that was ALS. I don't remember off the top of my head. Right. Moving on though. However, yeah. we are doing something called Sober October. Yep. Where we will not do any drugs or alcohol we for do. the entire month of October. Not saying that we do drugs. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not saying we do <laughs> drugs. We've all done the Dare program. We are taking the clean, straight edge approach to this upcoming month which is kind of ironic because two of us are sitting here doing drinking beers right now yep. so we're getting it in. i'm having tea because i'm a little under the weather we're we're getting uh we're getting it in before we can't do it anymore did they call that binging dude uh whatever <laughs> but on top of that we decided to take it a bit further and some of us <clears throat> ian hey decided that we would add some goals onto ours to kind of push ourselves a little bit. Cause I know like as far as alcohol, I don't drink a whole lot usually. So I felt like it wasn't going to be much of a challenge. So on top of no alcohol, I decided that my goals are going to be to lose five pounds over the course of the month, run a hundred miles, accomplish doing 20 consecutive pull-ups and I'm not drinking any soda or eating any fried foods the entire month of right, October. Right. Eric, Eric, those are all extremely good goals, but the five pounds, if you just shave your beard off, you're going to lose five pounds overnight. I see. I, hmm, hmm, I'm not <laughs> shaving my beard, though. Um, <clears throat> apparently, like, I don't know, five to ten. I, I was originally going to do five to ten pounds, but I... I don't know. We'll see how it goes. I don't. I didn't know how because I was gonna put twenty, hard, but I'm like, I was gonna say twenty, but yeah. And so yeah. five pounds was a real realistic goal for me. I Ian, ha, Ian, I don't think you've come up with anything, right? So uh, far, not off the top of my head. I'm sorry, guys. It's been a, a hell of a week for me, so I'm really no worries. <laughs> uh, I'll probably go with a little bit of losing weight. I've been trying to lose about forty pounds since the summer. I think I got like six, seven off. Uh, it's very slow going for me, so hopefully this sober October will help me out, get rid of some calories. Uh, let's see, athletic ability. Uh, I'd say if I can get back to doing my fifty to seventy push-ups, you know, consecutively. You I, I think my my max was like seventy-five at one point, so if I can get there back to go. that, that'd okay. be nice. I've, I've been 
slacking on that. Increase my pull-ups too. I'm at five right now. Maybe get to ten or fifteen. So you know, do a set of pull-ups in the morning, set of pull-ups at night. Yeah, it works. Be like uh, Saitama, who does uh, what was it? A thousand push-ups, a thousand sit-ups, a thousand. Oh God, freaking, that freaking that sounds like David Goggins right yeah. there, too. <laughs> hey, it worked for Saitama. He became the strongest man in the world. One punch. Well, that'd be nice. The man is still here, you know? One yeah. punch, man. And then, Ray, your your goals. Um, yeah, so mine are, I know you had some. Mine are is I'm going to have no alcohol, uh, lose about 10 pounds, um, no fried foods, no microwave meals, because that's kind of what I do. Especially when I work at night, so there's not really much available. Yeah, okay. it's hard to have a steady diet on the overnight. Yep. Um, I'm going to start meal prepping with quote-unquote real food. There you go. Like actual beef and Yeah, and that'll, that'll help with your other goal of no fried foods. Maybe sometime, Ray, we can take you out to the grocery store and tell you what's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm a terrible influence when it comes to that. So and uh, another thing is, like, I want to hit a mile without getting winded because I've had no. a loss of endurance, so... Hopefully this will be good. I'm excited. Yeah. Hopefully I'll be ready by the time next week comes around. And the, this cold. the key is we have to give each other shit about being accountable. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah accountable. That's that's how we're gonna do this. We gotta be on each other's shit. By the time it's the gym time, just to keep. We're gonna roll the, up. Bring the front yeah, door. We gotta exactly. drag the rest out of there. Yeah. Because I keep my phone on silent, so I just. Ring I'm the just doorbell. gonna keep. Yeah. Ringing the doorbell. All right. So the we're gonna. We're going to post some updates as we go along the month, so check out our stories. That's mm-hmm. where we'll probably post most of them, whether we're dying or we're happy as hell. <laughs> we'll, see. we'll see. I know. We'll me, be- me and Ian went on a run a couple days ago. What was it, a couple days ago? It was last Thursday, yeah. And I we, we went on a brutal five-mile five run, it's almost five miles, six. Yeah. And I, tell you, I, was, like, I was okay when I got to three, then like anything after three, it was like, all right, all right, I got to walk a little bit. I got to jog, walk again, jog again. I, I just couldn't keep it consistently, man. It was yeah, you got a consistent pace. Yeah. Because was... I, 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 laughed, <laughs> I laughed at him a little bit because we were going by the liquor store and the preschool, which coincidentally in Tolland is right next to one another. But he went by me, and I'm like, oh, this, this motherfucker is going to be tired in another like quarter of a mile. And sure enough, he was walking. Screw you, man. <laughs> I was like, that's why you got to get the consistent pace going. But yeah, we are gonna stubborn. keep each other accountable. Yeah. So. But. If you guys wanna give a shit too? Please, by all means. Oh yeah, that. we we'd love that. Yeah. Give a shit. Um, but for our ninth episode, we gave the vote to you guys, and we each are going to spend the geek section talking about our five favorite movie moments. So anything in cinema history. One yeah. moment, not a movie, a moment. Eric, how do you want to work that? You want us to go around each time, listen to number yeah, one? Yeah, we'll, we'll just go yeah, like we'll five, five, like... five, four, four, four. So, okay. yeah, yeah, we can makes, just go around sense. in a circle yeah. and talk. That works. Yeah. And then for our part two, so our nature section, which will be, again, I think that we the separate episode of part two works better. For the nature section, we're going to be talking about the climate strike and the current issue with our environment we'll get maybe a little heated with that because that's something i'm kind of passionate about and uh, i'll cool that down at the end with a little tale about my bike race that yeah I there you go weekend. so you did a 50 miles right 50 miles yeah and he's still alive people 
Oh, See, yeah. anything can happen. 50 miles, please. <laughs> so, Your legs look a little more buff than usual. <laughs> that's what they call swollen. <laughs> so, because it works hard. Okay. Um, so what, who wants to start? What's I'll go. Start? All right. So I kind of ranked mine, and people are going to think my number one's pretty shocking, but I'll explain. My number five would be from Dead Poet Society, the end scene where the students get up and start start um, chanting, Oh, Captain, my captain, to Professor Keating, who, rest in peace, was played Number by Robin Williams. Williams. And the reason why, for me, this scene is in my top five is because of where the movie led up to that point. So the entire movie... So if you guys haven't seen this, you really should. The entire premise of the movie is, what is it, a military school or a boarding school? It was a boarding school, dude. Yeah, so it was an all-boys boarding school mm-hmm. back in the day where you weren't really – you were supposed to do everything by the textbook, everything by the rule. No creativity was allowed. And then even like their poetry class originally was straight out of the textbook, which is like a sin in poetry. So Professor – was it a professor or doctor? One of the two. The teacher, Mr. Keating, took over the class and taught all these boys like it that it's okay to be creative. And it leads up is to... It okay? Is it okay to be creative? Fuck yeah, it is. <laughs> you don't want to be a stale... Stale Nazi. <laughs> I feel like society has lost that edge, you know. The last I, think, I do think a little bit, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends on where you are. Mm. I mean, look at... Washington State, full of creative people. Yeah, mm, California. True, very true. I mean, the Midwest is a little stale. I don't think there's much out there, but corn. Yeah. But you you can also like even like a little bit in going through the educational system, they don't really teach you any more to think about different perspectives. Mm. It's kind of like especially in math now. Math is like you got to do it this way. You got to do it this way. Oh, you you got to get to the answer using this equation or this formula whereas there could be more than one way to solve the problem but the teacher doesn't care they want one way i mean i don't know about it now but i know when i when i was growing up and going through the tall and education system that's the way it was was that about three years ago dude (laughs) i'm giving ian the middle finger ladies and gentlemen yeah i like to be a little bit of a smart ass um but yeah, so throughout the movie, he's teaching these kids to be creative, and then there was one, and there was this one kid who wanted was it he wanted to be in a play because that's how he wanted to express his creativity, and his parents were not for that. His father was very unsupportive of that, and it got to the point where the kid committed suicide, and then this scene at the end kind of brought up all that emotional impact from his death and Mr. Keating was being fired because the school found out that the kids were creating their own poetry club and because they didn't like creativity and because the kids were writing their own poetry and sharing it with one another. That's kind of the, the way the club worked. And the administration found out and they blamed Mr. Keating. And as he was being fired and leaving the classroom, the kids stood up and supported that there was really only one teacher huh. for them. And they started chanting, oh, captain, my captain, 
which is a famous line from a poem about Abraham Lincoln. Do not remember exactly what poem that was, though. I thought it was War and Peace, but I could be wrong. Uh, I, that's, I'm, not, I'm not sure, dude. Sorry. I'd, I'd have to look back and, and uh, research that. Civil but, War, I'm good with poetry, not so much. Yeah. I mean, there is a, a, is a loose tie there, but... Uh, I was thinking, like, Thomas Mulcahy, An Annals of Ancient Rome, with uh, Brave Horatius at the Gate. Yeah. I mean, it's similar. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, this, this scene stands out to me because of the emotional impact of what just happened with the kid and their support of the teacher being fired and then being supportive over him. And it goes to show you that teachers can really help students out and impact their lives as they should because you spend how many hours with teachers a day when you're going to school That's true. quite a bit they're not supposed to only be babysitters they're actually supposed to make an impact a lot of the good teachers i remember growing up with some of my favorites that would spend extra time with you yeah explore on your horizon so hats off to you guys and yeah. gals thank you teachers so mm -hmm. and then uh, obviously with the passing of robin williams this yeah. makes this scene even more impactful to me so that's my number five it's a good one dude roger share it, share it with us mm -hmm. uh i guess i'll go next ladies and gentlemen he's got a notebook ladies and gentlemen he's fucking ready to go today yeah somebody said we should uh get, i should get concise my notes so you know i'll give that a go so i'll start with my number five choice and this is a little more of a science fiction movie okay. not the, you know i guess the serious stuff later but this is kind of serious so, I chose a movie I like to watch when I was growing up. It was The Terminator, the original one from 1984. Right. Okay. So, directed by James Cameron. I think everyone's seen it already. You know, kill a robot goes back from the past to kill the mother of the resistance leader, John Connor. And as we all know, you know, Arnie has been known as the, you know, the, the main, like, face of the Terminator. <coughs> of course. But, um... Actually, the scene I wanted to talk about was, um, I mean, I don't know if it's like a number one scene or everything, especially when it comes to sci-fi, but my, my scene was, uh, you know, at the end where um, the main hero, Michael Bean's character, Kyle Reese, he's standing mm -hmm. up against the, the, the Terminator. He was like, come on, motherfucker, and, you know, doing everything possible to save Sarah. Not just because he's meant to save her, but he's also they've also he's also fallen for her, and they, they fell in love and everything. Mm -hmm. And uh, and you see her titties, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes, we do. Linda Hamilton in '84 just just throwing that one out a bombshell. <laughs> but um, I, I picked that scene because I enjoy the whole theme of man versus machine. Uh, you know, human ingenuity versus. Um, evil robots and all that. It's and, kind of, sorry to interrupt, mm -hmm. it kind of like ties into today a little bit yeah. with our obsession with technology. It's in that pod, foreshadowing. In the podcast you showed me with Elon Musk and maybe by Joe Rogan kind of scared the crap out of me, dude. Yeah. That yeah. We, we very well could be going down that road in the future. We could be. We'll, we'll see. Maybe we'll fix it or not. I hope. Who knows? I hope we do. Um, I also picked that scene in that movie in particular because uh, actually one of my favorite actors is uh, Michael Bean from, uh, you know, uh, The Terminator as Kyle Reese, as Corporal Dwayne Hicks from Aliens, released a few years That's later. Right. And he, he played a decent uh, Johnny Ringo in uh, Tombstone, which I really, uh, that's like my favorite Western movie. I know there's other Westerns out there, but 
that's one I, I can watch over and over again and not get bored. Was he? Uh, wasn't he on U.S. Navy SEALs with Charlie Sheen too? Yes, he was. Yeah, he was. Yeah. He was the, I love that team movie. Yeah, it was action packed. And uh, actually, I'll say the reason he's one of my favorite um, actors, not just because he's got this got the same birthday as I do. Oh, <laughs> bias he's over it's here. It's a little biased, but um, well, I like him as the hero because if you look at other like I don't know heroes like. Uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger in his movies, mm-hmm. or Jean Claude Van Damme, Jackie Chan—they're all, they're Bruce all Willis. Bruce Willis. Yeah, <laughs> they're all great, but to me, they—they they don't represent like an average, you know. Right. Yeah. He, yeah. yeah. They're—they're they're more like the super buff, like masculine infused, like yeah heroes. Yeah, like Ar- Arnie can bench lift the bus, and you know Jean Claude. <laughs> he knows like eighty different kinds of martial arts. Him and Jackie Chan, and that's great and all, but like the average. Like person, True, I didn't think of it that way. The person just can't do that. So to me, like I've always enjoyed Michael Bean's role in that because he, it, it's like it's like saying that hey, I'm, I just look like you. I'm a normal person, but I can do this crazy, this cool stuff too, and so can you. And you, you can be the hero. I mean, we can all be the heroes in our own story. Yeah, and just thinking back at his filmography, he was probably an underrated. Action hero. He in, was in what was it the eight seventies eighties? The eighties and the early nineties. Yeah, was that's definitely that's interesting. And I've seen him in quite a bit. So yeah, and I've heard he's a cool dude. And if I ever get to go to a comic con or bump through the street, I love to just talk with him and shake, shake his hand and say, "Hey, I, I, I know maybe you're not like mainstream Highway anymore, but you were one of my big my big idols growing up. So okay. I want to thank you for that." Though T two is better than T one. Yeah, it's a, it's a matter of opinion. <laughs> I think there's a lot of ups. Are a lot I of loved. Yeah. Like I think the first Terminator was really good. Mm-hmm. It was groundbreaking. But, but the second one had a lot more, I think, action. Oh, yeah. I loved T2. The first one was kind of like Arnold just chasing them. It's, it's, the it's a chase one, movie, yeah. Yeah, the second one introduced like the new Terminator. And... It's almost like the Star Wars scenario yeah. where New Hope was good, but then you have Empire Strikes Back that comes out afterwards. Well, you know, the first movie comes out, you can work out the bugs, and then if it's successful, you get a bigger budget for the next yeah, one. So that's true. Yeah. And you can, that, yeah. Sorry, you can definitely tell, though, by the way, the special effects got better. And yeah. It's like a 10-year gap. But it's surprising that not every sequel is better than the original, though. Mm. That's a whole other... Yeah, it's a whole other argument. But... Discussion. Off to you, sir. Right. Um, so I gotta go with for my I guess number five movie was uh <clears throat> the ending scene of Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid. Mm. Um it's probably one of my favorite well, probably one of my favorite movies, <laughs> probably one of my favorite Western movies. Um <clears throat> at the end when uh Butch and Sundance they uh basically take cover and are fighting against the law down in Bolivia mm-hmm. um where they escape to. And basically, just the end scene is just them going out shooting. Like it was, it was just a really good mm-hmm. scene. Um, that's probably one of the first movies I saw when I was a kid uh, for a western, and the first movie that I really fell in love with Paul Newman for. Um, and Paul Newman, I actually watched a bunch of his movies after that, like The Sting and uh, a couple others. But and I just like I like Paul Newman. Yeah, he's, he's good. a good actor. Mm-hmm. Salad dressing's good. <laughs> um, but yeah, he also he also created the Hole in the Wall gang, which is a reference to the Hole in the Wall from Butch Cassidy and mm-hmm. Sundance Kid, where him and all the uh, 
excuse me, all mm-hmm. of his uh, robber buddies hung out. So, so, um, but yeah, I, that's probably one of my favorite movies. It's a good movie. Um, Robert Redford is also in it. Probably like one of the most iconic movie duos. He's been around for a long time. Yeah, one of the most iconic movie duos I think in cinematic history. Um, I know some of you guys listening are huge cinephiles, so if you have any additional input on that, please let us know. But um, yeah, all all in all, it's just a really good movie. Kind of just shows how like two friends go against the law right at the end, stay together till the bitter end. Hmm. Brothers to the end. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sorry, I'm not gonna be talking too much because my <laughs> voice is still a little hoarse. So. He, he's yeah. yeah, he's been sick the he's last few people. days. So. Yeah. So you guys won't get too much from me. Look at you. And he <laughs> he managed to stay away from his his getaway this weekend to hang out with us. So we appreciate That's him. Very sweet of you, Ray. Yeah, it was a difficult decision, but <laughs> had to get I'm sure he was supposed to go to Lost Lands for those of you who are listening. Yeah, but you know, getting sick and Staying home was a little more better, I think. Yeah. Need to re- recuperate. Yep. So my... Hey, yeah. Number four, people. Next slot. So, so my number four comes from probably my second favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Behind Lion King. Behind <laughs> Lion King is number one. Um, the ending in Back... <laughs> The ending in Back to the Future, where Marty is taking the DeLorean down the main street past the clock tower to get yep. back to the the past. Or no, the future. Wow, that was bad. Yeah, he went Well, yeah. technically it's his present. Yeah. yeah, if we're going by the freaking Avengers theory, yeah. The original time, the yeah. time, the original time, time travel. It's extremely complicated. Um, <clears throat> and one of the reasons why this scene comes up as probably – one of my favorite is, I mean, the DeLorean looks so fucking cool. <laughs> and then, you know, you have so many different things going on in that scene because you have Doc Brown trying to fix mm-hmm. the tow cable because it fell off. And then you have the timing and the lightning strike. And then meanwhile, you have Marty sitting in the car, like worrying about what's going on and if he's going to make it and everything. Mm-hmm. So I think it's like one of my first introductions to not only a sci-fi movie, but also to like some like a form of like really suspenseful like directing that you really didn't know which way it was going to go because mm-hmm. I mean well you didn't know it at the time but they did come out with two more so you never know he could have been stuck there <laughs> um and then how they loop that into the second and third movie after the fact was really cool because they always come back to 1955 um and you know got me into DeLoreans. I, was, I met, I met Christopher Lloyd at Boston. That's year. awesome. That was really cool. Fortunately, I didn't meet Michael J. Fox. Yeah, but, I would. Yeah. I would love to meet Michael J. Fox. That's probably one of my cool signatures. I have is I have a poster of the second movie that Drew Struzan was uh, did mm-hmm. the art for because he was there too. So it's got Drew Struzan's signature, Michael J. Fox's, and Christopher Lloyd's. That's Ooh. awesome. I'll so, be damned. Yeah, that was pretty cool. And I love. It was really cool to meet. And it, it was really cool because I, I watched the documentary about the movie um, that Zemeckis yep. put on. And they were talking about how um, they had to go to not George Lucas because that's Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Um, Steven Spielberg because mm-hmm. Steven Spielberg produced the movie. And I mean, there are issues with the I- idea behind the movie like, oh, the, 
he's about to fuck his mom. Like his mom wants to fuck him. And how is he friends with this old guy? I mean, Rick and Morty addresses that issue. Rick and Morty is basically a parody of Back to the Future. But anyway, going back on topic. So it was interesting to listen to Zemeckis talk about how the process of getting this movie going with Steven Spielberg and what they had to do and everything. Originally, I believe their idea was um, about a kid and it was originally wasn't like an old, the Dr. Brown, it was somebody else. And then they were like, well, why don't we have him pair with this scientist? Cause then the whole time travel things make more sense. So they went with that. And the coolest thing I find about this movie, and not so much the ending, but the movie altogether, mm-hmm. is Zemeckis and his partner in crime, I forgot his, uh, the other guy's name, they said that they would not allow Universal Studios to put out a reboot until they were dead. So they will not be remaking huh. Back to the Future until the creators are long dead. Um, actually, I, that is a very noble statement that yes. you shared. They gotta stop remaking movies. Anyways. I know they need to start rebooting every single movie <clears throat> from the eighties. Well, if they reboot the Princess Bride, I'm gonna fall on. Princess yeah, Bride. yeah, we're gonna riot. But yeah, the the creators went out and said, "Look, you guys aren't remaking this movie until we're long dead. So, have fun." You can. All right, that that's kind of like my number four, just the. The impact that it has on the science fiction drama, too, kind of was there. And, and the set was, like, kind of real, too. Everything was set up. There was not a whole mm-hmm. lot of CGI, so. Well, see, yeah, that, that's great, man, especially back in, back in the Oh, yeah, 90s. back in the 90s, it was almost non-existent. So, yeah, that's my number four. How about you, All right, Ian? Uh, so I'm going to troll a little bit off of sci-fi, and uh, actually... The, mo- the number four for me is going to be from Road to Perdition. Head. That was a good movie. Yeah, have you seen it? Have you seen it? I have not have seen, seen it, right? Yeah. Nice. So it, it stars, um, I think it's based off of a famous comic book, actually. It is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was directed by Sam Mendes. No, Sam Raimi. Was it Sam Mendes or Raimi? I think it was Sam Raimi. Yeah, I, I keep getting the two Sams confused. I want to say it was it was the one the, the Sam that did the Spider Man trilogy, but don't quote that's me that. Sam Raimi. Yeah, that's Sam Raimi. Okay, don't quote me that, ladies and gentlemen. But uh, anyway, so uh, World of Perdition is about um, set in the thirties and during the Depression era in Illinois. Sam Mendes, that's who it was. Mendes, thank you. I I can't I can't get into Sam's confused. Oh, you have also, fucking notes, Ian. Real quick thing, another <laughs> movie Paul Newman was in. Yes, exactly. That was uh, I think it was one of his last actual films. Yep. Before you're officially retired. Yeah. Um, it's set in the Depression, and it's about this child, this 13-year-old kid, whose father is a hitman for the local Irish Mafia, and okay. he actually witnesses his father help commit murder with two of these, um, you know, not rivals, but mm-hmm. um, like irate members, which... And I think, yeah, nah, it was cold. It was murder, but, um, you know, he did kind of act in self-defense. Anyway, I, I digress. So, <laughs> anyway, so the boss, the mob boss, his son, played by Daniel Craig. Wow. Yeah. Okay. A very early young Daniel Craig. Um, he's jealous at the kid's father, who is played by Tom Hanks, one of my favorite actors. He's I jealous. 
already jealous because Tom Tom's character Michael Sullivan Senior is getting more attention. Like he's looking more as a son to the, the mafia leader played by Paul Newman than he is as his son, like Connor, which is who's Daniel Craig playing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so this kid, this guy panics. He actually ends up uh, killing. He tries to kill uh, Tom Michael Sullivan, the the hitman, and tries to ki- he kills actually uh, his wife and the younger son Peter. And he actually he almost tried to kill um, his oldest son Michael too, the one who witnessed the murder. So it's a tale about them, those those two going on the run, trying mm-hmm. to you know trying to find a way out of the, out of the life. Um, you know, it takes them to Chicago where you you meet um, some of the famous. You know, Chicago mobsters. You don't Al see, Capone. yeah, you don't see Al Capone except in the scene, but you see like everyone who's, who's his organization, mm-hmm. and it goes back to trying, you know, get back at the at the Irish mafia so they don't come after the after the, the them again. Yeah. But um, there was one scene I really liked in that movie. It was uh, after like Tom Hanks' character is shot halfway through by this hitman that they, this hitman they hire played by a uh, Jew Law. Which, wow, uh, this is star-studded. It was star-studded. Yeah, it was pretty yeah. good cast. Uh, and, and ladies, if you, you, you like Jude Law, you wouldn't have liked him in this because he had like he has like no hair and he's like missing teeth and his character is missing. What what teeth. year did this movie come out? I think two thousand two. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I only saw I only saw the whole thing like a few years ago because uh, I just never got around to it. But I'm like, oh wow, this is awesome. Anyway, there's this one scene where after Tom Hanks gets shot, they hide. This old couple takes him in on a farm, and he's nursed back to health. But while his father is looking over, like, some records to find out, you know, some information he can work to get the mafia off his back, his son comes in and talks, and he's like, hey. the son talks about, I always, like, I always um, thought you liked Peter more than me, like, my, my brother, like, you always seem more friendly with him. And um, Tom Hanks goes, well, Michael, you... You're, you're like me, like you, you, you're almost exactly like me. Like you think like me, you, you almost kind of like acts like me. And um, he was afraid he was gonna follow the same footsteps as he did, you know, become a, a hit, an assassin for the, the mafia. Hmm. And uh, actually, so that touched me because like the whole the whole movie, like the, the backdrop is also to that, you know, um, you know the title world of perdition, you know the. Like he has a argument with Paul Newman saying like Michael, we, we've all done terrible things. Nobody here is going to heaven. Yeah, we're going to go to hell. And he's like, my son, my Michael can make it. He's like, for God's sakes, and get your son out of his life. And so like the whole thing was also him trying to you know do like some sense of justice for his son that he loves, even though um, he thinks he believes his soul is, is damned. It's like preventing the apple from far falling far from the tree. Yeah. Far from the tree. Yeah. I, I always like that scene. You know, it's like. Um, like you're, you're, I don't know who's a father out there. You're always worried about you, you, your your kids repeating the same mistakes you did. I don't have any kids yet, but I can only imagine the the feeling about that. So that that's like one of the scenes that touched me the most. Mm-hmm. And I, I won't tell you the ending because if you want to see it, you should watch it. But um, yeah, it's powerful, and the music is great. The, the backdrop is great. Um, yeah, I, I get nothing but praise for that movie. Have you, read, have you read the book? I've never read the. Not, not into the. I haven't read book. it either. I've heard nothing but good things about it. I just haven't read it. The ending is a bit different than the, the movie, I'll tell you that much. Is it? It's a little darker. I'll have to add it to my list. Yeah, I got a copy at home I can lend you. 
somewhere. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. All right. Cap. And uh, sticking on the, I guess, mobster theme, going to go with my number four, and that would be The Godfather. Uh, probably one of the most... Um, iconic. Iconic <laughs> movies. In history. In history. That's like the iconic um, mafia film. Yeah, it is. Uh, so my dad really likes The Godfather, so I watched it growing up. Um, it's actually kind of cool when they show it in the movie theaters, me and him go and watch it. Nice. Normally it's kind of nice because it's around Father's Day, so mm-hmm. I don't really have to spend too much. Um, yeah but the godfather and i was trying really hard to think about what scenes i would pick and ian actually pointed out a good one too (laughs) my first one so mine's gonna be kind of like a weird little two-part there you go so my first one would be where um michael says he'll kill the uh police sergeant and the mob boss mccluskey yeah yep to uh that's a lot so to um you know take the fall so that way it helps his family. Mm-hmm. So, and that was a really poignant scene, I would say, because it um, took the part that Michael made his first step into becoming part of the mafia and step part of, of the dark. part of the family business. Yeah, instead of darkness too. Because I think it, yep. if you watch more of the movie, it's about. Sorry, I don't mean to jump. No, on go ahead, man. Do your thing. You I know. don't want to talk that much, anyways. <laughs> you know, um, Vito Corleone, played by the great uh, Marlon Brando, is like Michael. I never wanted this for you, this kind of life. You could have been Senator Corleone, Governor Corleone. Yep. Like, yeah. Yeah, so it was a that very, was probably one oh, of my nice. favorite scenes. Um, because, and then right after that, he's flown to Italy. Mm-hmm. So that way, you know, no one keeps track of him. Um, and played by Al Pacino. Mm-hmm. So that was probably one of the most, Before probably Scarface. one of the one of the greatest roles that he's ever played. Um, and then Ian pointed out the final scene of the movie <laughs> where he's attending his, what is it, the baptism? Yeah, his uh, nephew's baptism. His I nephew's believe, baptism. Yeah. And there's this really good line where the priest is, you know, uh, asking, oh, Ian, you can, uh, you, can sure. do, okay. you can do a better than I can. Uh, yeah, I don't know, remember the entire uh, speech. I want to be Latin, but it's like, Michael, do you renounce Satan and all his mom disciples? I do renounce them, and you know, of course, while he's saying like, "Oh yeah, I, I, I renounce them. I believe yeah, in while God." Yeah, he's doing this, he's calling out all these hits on these mob bosses. Mm-hmm. That's, like, that's like the greatest mafia scene of all yep. time. Yeah, he's calling out all these hits, and uh, of course, you can never forget the classic line: "Don't forget the cannolis." Ah, mm-hmm. uh, Um Yeah, but all around, it's probably one of my favorites. The second one was really good too. I don't think it was as as poignant as the first one, and I, I honestly never saw the third one. Uh, I, I my, my dad always told me not to watch it because he yeah, said it wasn't that good. I guess so. the same thing. Um, it's, it's it's just a movie that you can have so many great scenes out of, and and I always wanted to watch the um, what was it the, the Coppola cut where it has mm-hmm. the scenes of Corleone, uh, Don Corleone, Marlon Brando when mm-hmm. he was younger. Yeah, I never watched the full cut of that because I thought it was I heard it was really good. My dad said he saw it. He said it was pretty good. And of course, young young Don Corleone, played by um, Robert Dr. De Niro. Yeah. Yep. He speaks like fluent. Yeah. I think Flu- I think fluent, it's Sicilian. Fluent Sicilian. So yeah. um, yeah. Uh, if you ever get a chance to watch it, it's really good. Um, I'm sure all you cinephiles will agree that it's probably one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. 
you know, right, my Austin, I used to joke, my brother used to joke, we, when we watch it, um, he would say, like, all right, I'm the more calculated one. I'm going to be Michael and uh, Ian, you are the hothead. You go with your heart, so you're going to be Sonny. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, man, I get to die in the Jersey Barrier. <laughs> Turnpike. That's another classic scene. Too. <laughs> uh, you're up, kid. So we got number three here. I'm just going to throw that out there. I have not seen The Godfather, so. He's slacking. And you guys can roast me all you want. Yep. crap for that. Yeah. And I'm a, I was a criminal justice major, so there's no excuse for me not to see that. So, <laughs> um, my third one, and this is kind of recent. All you people are going to be like, oh, he's just a Marvel fanboy. But I am going to plead my case. So, my number three is the Thanos snap from Infinity War. So, the first snap. And I have a couple reasons for this. Number one, it is an iconic comic book moment so in the history of comic books the thanos snap is up there as far as one of the greatest even comic lines there is yeah the whole moment when we're in the theater and everyone's like shocked like huh well yeah that too but in the comic like it's just so i mean it's it's a bit different in the comic because it in the infinity gauntlet comic it's it actually happens in the beginning it's not at the end of a movie but it's Iconic, nonetheless. It's a Jim Star- Starling classic. Mm-hmm. However, the movie Snap, it is it is a comic icon, on a, uh, iconic moment, and it just brings about like the whole like they they had been storytelling for ten years, mm-hmm. twenty one or twenty two movies at the time, and it was the first moment in that ten year storyline. That the villain won. Mm-hmm. And nobody really expected it to happen. I mean, there's some comic people out there that probably expected it to happen. They were probably watching and snickering while this whole thing was Well, I, I had a feeling, but I didn't know. I didn't think Disney would actually be able to do it. But having that snap happen and having half of your main cast just disappear like that. <laughs> you don't know what happens. And the way the movie ended made it made it like... One of one of the uh, noteworthy villain victories alongside Darth Vader, I would say. Mm. Um, but then I, again, Endgame kind of erases that a bit, so I'm just going to focus on that one moment. <laughs> <laughs> and and, it, and it, this is more so in the comic of the lengths he went to get mm-hmm. each of the stone was like it was a hard-earned victory. The movie maybe not so much because he had his sidekicks kind of there most of the time to help him out. But he still beat the shit out of the Avengers regardless. Yeah, well, he's, he's freaking Thanos, dude. He's powerful. And, and it put Thanos on the map, I think, as one of the greatest movie villains. Maybe not the best, but he's up there probably now. Um, and I hope they bring him back. But that is my number three. Number three? Is, that's a good one, dude. I liked it. <laughs> I was rooting for Thanos that whole movie. Wow. Hell soul. yeah, the heroes need to be checked once in a while. I agree they, they, they can't be winning all the time, otherwise it'd just be too easy sure and too can. predictable. Sure they can. Look at Superman. Fuck Superman. <laughs> we already had your episode. You're done. <laughs> You're done. Continue with your number three. Yeah. All right, so my number three. Uh, I want to load it back to uh, the criminal justice genre. 
Okay. Um, I actually enjoyed uh, The Departed by Martin Scorsese. Uh, I was going to say that almost made my list. Yeah. That's a good one, too. Yeah. Uh, a couple of reasons. One, I'm a huge Martin Scorsese fan. Um, you know, Scorsese. Scorsese. I know. I'm bad with names. I'm bad with names <laughs> pronunciation. You had uh, Goodfellas when that came oh, out. Oh, yeah. Um, the Casino, which I think Casino... Up in it's like the second or third move. It's like ranked number two or three in Hollywood that has the most use of the F word. Yeah, that makes sense. That, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think Son of Sam, somewhere Sam beat it out by. Um, I was gonna Spike say Lee. Pulp Fiction's probably up there too. Yeah, they're all like <laughs> up there, man. It's like a whole league of their own. But um, anyway, anyway, so uh, yeah, I like that for a couple of reasons. One, because is Martin's work. Uh, two, it depicts like the. The Irish mafia, Irish, uh, you know, hoodlums in a in the Simac universe. I'm like, all right, you know, this is my people, but we're doing bad things. But this again, some recognition. And I don't know about you. Around St. Patty's Day, I always watch The Departed. Oh yeah, <laughs> you have to, man. Yeah, it's like and Blue Dog scenes. Yeah, yep. and I was gonna say that almost made my list too. Yeah, it was close for me. And uh, I guess my, I guess the reason I picked the movie is like the moment is 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 just at the end where. You know, like, Leo, he's survived, you know, being undercover for Frank Costello, which, you know, the, the friggin', like, the Boston was amazing. I mean, I'm a Yankees fan, but I do love the city of Boston. It's, it's, it's got its history. City, the music with the music. Dropkick Murphys at yep. the beginning. Oh. The dropkick, yeah. Like, everything about the movie I, I love, and just, like, the character development. Um, but anyway, at the end, you know, my, my the moment I picked was where after, like, Leo gets a hold of uh, Matt Damon's character, Sullivan. Yep. And he's leading him downstairs, and he's got Anthony Anderson, like, point a gun at him. They're both going downstairs, and he's like, you know who I am. I'm taking this guy in because Selvin's the dirty cop. You know, no relation. Yeah. <laughs> Ian's last name is Selvin. <laughs> <laughs> and he's going down the, he's going down the elevator, and, you know, Matt Damon goes like, just kill me, man. Just have him kill me. Like, I am killing you. And, you know, I was thinking, all right, bad guy, bad guy lost. You know, good guy's going in, and... As soon as the elevator doors open and bam, Leo gets shot. Like he gets shot. It's by, unexpected. It's, un, it's unexpected, and it's by a character that you I had no idea would come back. Though so I think it was the guy's name was Berrigan, played by James Batch Dale. Which, if anybody likes World War II miniseries, he played Robert Lecky in the Pacific, and I highly recommend that miniseries if you haven't seen it yet. Did you like that better than Band of Brothers? Um, I like them both for different reasons. I'll, okay. Which we can, I, I guess, one up so I, I can I can go yeah. for that. We can do a compare contrast for that. But uh, yeah, and I'm like, oh wow, Leo died. I, I thought he was gonna live and you know get the girl and everything, and uh, but nope, it, it's a Scorsese film, so that's how it's gonna end. Yeah. And of course, you know Sullivan, he thinks he got away scot free, and all of a sudden, uh, Mark Wahlberg's character pops him out of nowhere. And um, I also like that because it reminds me of my um, army buddy, Aaron, who I just know, like, if anything happened to me or my brother, he would, like, fly in a heartbeat and take care of the problem. <laughs> and if you haven't seen The Departed, mm -hmm. you need to yeah. stop being a pathetic loser. Stop mm -hmm. watching the fucking Disney Channel shows and the cartoons that you've been watching and watch this yeah. movie. And that, too, because... You haven't seen The Godfather. Yeah, Fair point. We'll give him shit. <laughs> but at least I, I've seen The Departed. Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying. I know. And 
So one more thing, guys. I, 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 before you guys get into a, a, a you know, I'm not gonna argue. Yeah. I'm just saying. No, no, I need to get on it. At least I realize I need to watch it. <laughs> but uh, anyway, anyway, so the last thing I say about my my, my, my top choice number three was uh, I liked it too because it, it kind of like these movies, you know, they, like The Aviator and Blood Diamond, kind of brought um, Leo DiCaprio back into serious work. Cause I think like the longest time he was known as the pretty boy from Titanic. Yeah, he was typecast to that. Typecast, yeah. I'm just so glad they gave him a gritty role, and he finally won that Oscar. I was going to say, I'm so happy he finally won a fucking Oscar, because he's had so many good roles that he's done. Just took so flipping long. I think it was biases in the Oscars. Uh, It's always biases in the Oscars. But uh, anyway, that was my number three choice, The Departed. Uh, Ray, what do you got for number three? All right, so my number three is a really good throwback to when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. I chose a lot of movies from when I was a kid because a lot of those resonate with me still. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to go with, um, man, it was so hard to choose a scene. It's Raiders of the Lost Ark, Mm -hmm. which is probably my favorite Indiana Jones movie. Um, So Indiana Jones by Steven Spielberg, starring my... Number one favorite, Harrison Ford, mm-hmm. who if I ever met, I would couldn't even decide what to get. <laughs> I would probably, probably either want. I would probably either want Indiana Jones or Han Solo or Indiana Deckard Solo from Blade Runner. Oh Water. yeah, like, all three of that. those movies are my top uh, Harrison Ford movies. Um, so there's a couple mo- scenes that I really liked from it. Um, I think probably my favorite one is when. He, uh, after he's exploring the um, uh, pyramid in Egypt, he goes down into the pit, and this is my favorite line. He says, snakes, why did it have to be snakes? Because <laughs> I hate snakes probably as much as Indiana Jones does. Um, <laughs> but that's probably one of my favorite scenes. Um, and then it, he um, meets Marion Ravenwood, who's another yeah. iconic character. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I mean, if anyone, like, it's funny. A lot of people are like, "Oh man, you're an archaeologist. You must be like Indiana Jones." No, it's no. Uh, it's nothing like that. It's more like, no, it's, it's not um, even close. But you know, when I was a kid growing up, it was like the first adventure movie I ever saw. Yeah. Like, who didn't want to grow up after seeing that and be like, "Man, I want to be an archaeologist." Like you know, and I've always had like a love of history thanks to my dad. So like, a lot of it was a little poignant during the time because it was set what. Kind of during World War Two, right? It was something like the it. late thirties. It was something like the late thirties. Yeah, yeah so War. it was a lot of you know probably one of my favorite things is World War Two. Mm-hmm. And my favorite too, which we could always talk about in some discussion. Yeah, yeah. and you know, um, basically an archaeologist fighting Nazis. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't want to watch that? Who doesn't want to punch and, a Nazi? And the practical effects for that time period were really good too. Yeah. Yeah, it, that that was like the golden age of practical effects, and that. And uh, another one of my favorite things was when you go down to Disney, Disney in Florida. They had the Indiana. They had the, the show. Indiana Jones oh, show. Oh my god! Was that Universal? Awesome. Was that Universal? No, it was it was Disney. Okay. Yeah, it was Disney. So whenever I saw that, it was either Universal or Disney. Same thing. I remember that. Um. Yeah, I would always go to see that when I was a kid. When I went down to Disney, because it was like, oh shit, there's Indiana Jones fighting like, Nazi. <laughs> Um, you know, and yeah, the, it, it the other different. ones were good. I won't say anything about Crystal Skull because uh, the lesser yeah. show better. It was good until halfway through, and I was like, "Man, this isn't good." There are no aliens in Indiana Jones. Um, but yeah, that's definitely probably my top three, just because like mm-hmm. Harrison Ford. Yeah, can't do anything better than that. And they usually do the um the 
show at MGM Studios, or now it's Hollywood. Yeah, yeah and now it's now it's Hollywood Studios down in Disney. It's yeah. changed since I went there as a kid. Yeah. So my number two moment comes from my third favorite movie of all time. Okay. And that's from Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring. And the reason why Lord of the Rings Fellowship of the Ring is yeah, my favorite. Or the live action? No, the live action. Peter Jackson. With Pete, yeah, Peter Jackson and then, you know, um, what's his name? Aragorn, the guy. Uh, Vigo Mortensen. Vigo Mortensen and then um, Elijah Wood. Elijah Wood, Orlando Bloom. Yeah. But the reason why it's up, and this is my favorite Lord of the Rings movie, because I find that this movie, if you just watch the first movie, it's like one of, it's like the perfect adventure film and the perfect storytelling all in that one movie. Granted, I always go with the extended cut of this movie, which is over four hours. (laughs) (laughs) The extended cut's really good. Oh, yeah. It's one of the few extended editions, like Lord of the Rings altogether. That actually add quite a bit to the movie. There's a lot of extended editions that I've seen where they don't they add like five to ten minutes. Like the whole thing with freaking Endgame and and, and Spider Man Far From Home where they add like a couple minutes and that's the extended cut. I'm like, come on, really? Wasn't uh wasn't Batman and Superman didn't that add like thirty minutes or an hour? Yeah, an hour? I haven't seen that though. And it added like important information into the movie yeah. that should have been in the movie. Well, when that's, it that's, what it's, that's a whole other thing, but that's the yeah. way an extended edition should yeah. be. Yes. It should add a like a chunk of time. But Fellowship of the Ring for me was the perfect journey film, the perfect adventure film, and it was filled with a lot of cool CGI practical mm-hmm. effects. Because what a lot of people forget about the original Lord of the Rings was there wasn't a whole lot of CGI. A lot of it was actually costumes. Yeah. And, of course, you can go and see all of these locations in New Zealand. But the, my favorite moment from this movie, and it sets the staple, I think, for CGI moving forward. Because if you look at CGI before this movie, it wasn't that great. Mm-hmm. Was the famous Gandalf Balrog scene on the bridge in Moria. Yes. Where he's saying, you shall not pass. And there's a couple of reasons why this stands out the most to me. Number one, the Balrog looks fucking amazing. Yep. Like yeah. CGI for that thing was incredible. Like Did that come I was two thousand one, two thousand one or two thousand two. I think it was 01. I think it was 01. But for that time period, that was so fucking impressive. Like there, there wasn't anything that came close to that around that time period. The second reason why is because it was not even maybe a little over halfway through the movie. And you have an important character just die and vanish. Obviously, it's not dead. Supposedly die, yeah. Yeah. But at the time, when you're watching it, you're like, oh, shit. We just lost, number one, our more, most powerful character that could probably actually mm-hmm. deliver this ring to Mordor. And it, it's just so unexpected. You wouldn't think somebody of that high caliber would have died first. You would have probably thought one of the hobbits would have died first. Or um, Boromir would have died first. But it was the fucking wizard that could have like took on Sauron himself. <laughs> um, so and then like the movie carries on with them still dealing with that moment. So to me, that's one of the most important scenes in that movie, if not the whole trilogy, minus obviously the destroying the ring. Would have probably been even more important if they didn't bring him back. But we know how that goes. Yeah, I mean, with Lord of the Rings, though, if you read the books. 
Gandalf is supposed to technically be immortal anyway, because he's in Tolkien's world, he's a sort of angel type figure. It's it's a little more complicated but that, but him and Saruman were basically these angelic creatures that were sent down to find the balance between good and evil. So do you consider yourself an angel, Eric? Absolutely not. <laughs> you know what's funny? So I forgot where it was. There's one Twitter account I follow that's like Best of Lord of the Rings or something like that. And there's been sparking a lot of like debate abundance like, why didn't the eagles just fly there? Yeah. But I yeah. actually read something saying that, I, I, and I, forgive me if I mess this up, but it's like the warden of the eagles said that they're not allowed to fly into yeah. Mordor. Because mm-hmm. Sauron would see them. Yep. Which oh. basically answers the whole question, like, why don't they just fly the eagles? Yeah, they, they, they do have, like, borders on which they can go and, yeah. and, and without. And it even brings back to um, even the Hobbit movie, that, that problem came <clears throat> up, too, because, you know, Mordor was there, but it wasn't, like, they weren't going to Mordor, they were going to Erebor. Mm-hmm. And the eagles couldn't just fly them to the mountain either, but there's, like... There's a couple of differences between the book and the movies, and one of them with the Eagles was not only did they have their own language and they actually spoke English, but they had these like magical boundaries where they couldn't go to certain areas of the world, and yeah. part of that is with the ah, warden. Okay. So the so, more you know. <laughs> and now we have the battle. Yep. Uh, year number two. All right, so my number two. Um, this is a close call for me. I had two runner-ups for number two. I think the one that I picked for my uh, second favorite, well, best movie of all time moment was um, a scene from uh, The Last of the Mohegans by, directed by Michael Mann. I was just listening to the film score for that earlier today. It's a great film score, man. It's <laughs> an awesome saying. film score. Uh, so anyone doesn't know, The Last of the Mohegans was a book by James Fenimore Cooper, I believe first published in 1826. I might be a year or two off. It is a second part of what's called the Leatherstocking Tales, and it the book is about um, this um, American colonist's son whose family died and is taken in by one of the native tribes, the Mohegans, <coughs> tribes, uh, Natty Bumpo, but he's, he's called Hawkeye in the movie, which that's his one of his names and the original Hawkeye. The, yes, the original <laughs> Hawkeye, the best Hawkeye. Did I just say that? Oh. Clint Barton, Clint hope Barton. you're listening. Yep. But uh, anyway, so the movie is based off of that, and it's also based off, I think, the the thirty original 30s version movie, which it loosely adapts the story. But um, the backdrop is, you know, it's during the French and Indian War, I think 1754, and it's supposed to take place up in upper state New York, around the Lake George area. Hmm. So if we ever actually, if I ever get up there with you, I could point oh. out where exactly. On another world. It is. Go, go ahead. Uh, you know, the, the movie wasn't filmed in New York. It was filmed in North Carolina just because of budgetary issues and, you know, scenery. But, um, yeah, so I'll, I'll talk about the, my favorite scene in that, in that movie, which was, it's the, like, the, the final ten minutes where one of the soundtracks, it's called Promontory Plays, and it's just this long, soothing, sort of sad song. That was the song I was listening yeah. to earlier. Yeah. <laughs> and it's, it's like eight minutes of like pure like I don't know not I want to say joy but like emotion emotion yeah and the scene that goes with it you know is the, at the end where um, 
Hawkeye, played by Daniel Day-Lewis. Legendary actor. Very, very legendary actor. His uh, father is a Native American father, Chichikan, Chichikan Shook, Chichikan, Chichikan Shook, which I think that's it. I mispronounced it. I, oh, I forget the actor. Probably pronounced him. it better than I would have. <laughs> yeah, I actually know, I know the actor who played him. Anyway, so they go off to rescue um, Alice and Cora, which are the two daughters of a British colonel, commander, that they bumped into and saved while they were traveling to Kentucky. And um, they're trying to save them from one of the Huron uh, war chiefs, war leaders, um, Maigua, who has a personal grudge against uh, the Colonel Monroe, the, 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 the daughter's father, for a raid on his village earlier in his life. And uh, kills the colonel. Uh, kill, which actually, there's a lot of history behind that. Which, if you ever get a chance to, it, I'll try to, you know, I'll try to talk to you about it because it's, it's fascinating. Anyway, so they're chasing off after Maguire to rescue Alice, who was the youngest daughter. Cora has already been saved because the British officer that was in love with her but was rejected, Duncan Major Hayward, volunteered to take her place and the funeral at the fire pot at the to get burned alive in mm-hmm. an exchange. That's another point in the scene. Anyway, so it was just, um, and the whole scene is about them trying to, I guess, save Alice and Chichkinchuk's real son, Uncas, goes to save her because he's fallen in love with her. And he actually kills several of Magua's men until he gets to Magua. And then Magua just kind of curb stomps him. He's basically, he, 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 he kills him easily. And he, it's sort of touching because in the scene, you know, Uncas is trying to save Alice and um, he dies brutally by Magua's hand, gets thrown over the side of the cliff. And then Alice has this like post-traumatic stress that realizing that, you know, he just died for her because he loved her and she sort of loved him. That The relationship really wasn't built in, built in, but anyway, she's so shocked. She actually jumps over the side of the cliff and kills herself too. And it, it's interesting because... I mean, there are definitely shades of Romeo and Juliet mm-hmm. throughout that movie. Yeah, Starcross lovers. But looking at that movie and then looking at movies forward, it mm-hmm. influenced so much. It did. And I feel like that movie is very underrated. And I, I'm even thinking about a couple of years ago when The Revenant came out. Yeah. There are definitely shades of Last of the Mohegans <laughs> throughout that movie as well. I'm glad they did it like that. Um, uh, so I'll, I'll say a few more things. So... Um, yeah, that um, and the fact, like the whole, like the choreography and the fight scene where the the father Chichikanchuk just takes revenge for his son and utterly like kill, like brutally murders, kills Magua, which I'm like, wow, wow, it's very graphic for 1982. Yeah, and um, I and just the, in the film score, the film yeah. score, like a lot of mo- like. A lot of people don't really appreciate the film score to a lot of movies because it kind of just fades in the background. Mm-hmm. But during this scene, the film yeah. score makes such an impact on what's going on. It's crazy. And uh, that and like the, the, the fact that there was very little special effects going on. Mm-hmm. Most of what you saw pretty much was real. Uh, the costumes, the, the props, the, the setting of the Fort, Fort William Henry. Uh, yeah, I thought they did a very good job at reflecting, you know, that that period of history. It's authentic. Of, it's authentic. Yeah, there's, there's a couple of inaccuracies, but you know, that's that's to be expected in a in a work in a movie. True. But True. Uh, yeah, sorry. Right, so I've I've always loved the movie. I've watched it every time. I, I can I get 
Uh, I sure hope you watch it every time you watch it. Well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of my favorite periods of history, British colonial America, and um, and listen, I'm a bit of an Anglophile, so you know, while I'm wearing my Forever Irish T-shirt, so we know <laughs> you wore that the last time I saw you too. Don't worry, I watched it. <laughs> I hope so, because the last time I saw you was during a five-mile run. Yep. But uh, yeah, so that was my number, my number two choice. So Ray, yeah, you, you want to follow up with that? Yeah. Um, well, my number two choice is the um, another one from my childhood, which kind of made me first start to really enjoy Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Is the original 1954 yes. Godzilla movie? That's a good one. Um, <clears throat> so a lot of um, Toho Studios produced it, which is. They did like almost every single Godzilla movie until it came to America mm-hmm. and was a legendary guy or universal one of those two. Yeah, legendary got it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. um <clears throat> it's probably one of my favorite movies. I think it was probably the first black and white movie I ever saw. Um, because I watched it in original black and white. Yeah, and um, they have this really nice criterion collection one which I kinda wanna get. It's a little too pricey, but <laughs> Yeah, I saw that. I was um, looking at that too. It's like but Oof. uh you know, it was back when, you know, special effects were basically a guy in a rubber Godzilla suit. Yeah. And the it was the days. coolest thing ever. Um, I remember seeing it when I was a kid. Um, it was subtitled. Um, so, actually, no. It was either, I think it was dubbed. I might have seen it dubbed. Either dubbed or subbed. I can't remember because it was so long mm-hmm. ago. But um, other than that, I watched every single Toho Godzilla movie dubbed. Um, I think I watched the new one, Shin Godzilla. I watched that sub because it was on Funimation, mm-hmm. which it was all right. <laughs> I think it was that great. I remember when I was maybe 10, I was young. I actually went to Best Buy, and they had a collection of the old Godzilla movies from oh, the original man. to, I think, when he fought King Ghidorah. Mm-hmm. That's where it ended, and it had, like... Rodan and mm-hmm. the original Mothra. Yeah, they and got a really Mothra. nice. Oh my god! I where it was. I saw it online. They had a really nice Criterion collection yeah. that uh, came out. That I kind of. Oh, here it is. It's the uh, the Godzilla Showa era films, which is 1954 to 1975, and it's really nice. It's actually on the Criterion. Uh, site it's 180 bucks so oh shit yeah but it's got like almost every single classic godzilla movie so um but other than that my favorite scene from it and i was actually just watching it uh a minute ago just to kind of remember what it was it was when the tanks first see godzilla coming out of the water and you can see him rising up slowly the spotlights hit him and it's just, you see these tanks, like, mm-hmm. not valiantly bringing him down. He's going through, tearing down electrical wires, um, destroying a town. And it's kind of at that moment where you can tell that the uh, Japanese forces are like, oh, crap. We, no, normal people yeah. can't take this yeah. guy down. <laughs> um, oh, man. That's kind of what stemmed my love of the Godzilla movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I've liked them ever since. Even the crappier ones like there was one that came out i think uh in japan it might have been in the 90s where like uh it was basically godzilla versus every single monster and it was pretty funny because then you had that terrible 1990s one that america made and uh it was funny because the um in that movie they had 
uh, the Toho Godzilla basically tail whip the Americanized Godzilla <laughs> and just basically take him out. It was pretty oh, funny. funny. Um, and then I actually kind of liked the recent ones. I did too. Um, there was a lot of, I guess, history behind it that I liked. Uh, and there's, a, I know they're doing a whole like MonsterVerse, MonsterVerse mm-hmm. one, which I thought I think is pretty cool. Yeah. Um, I'm glad that you know finally we can have a good King Kong versus Godzilla movie. Yeah, the special effects now. Um, much better. Yeah. Now. I mean, the only gripe I have about them is they focus too much on humans and not a lot yeah, on the, the humans monsters. Yeah, the humans. They always do that. In I really, yeah, I really don't care about. Like, yeah, I just want monsters beating the shit out of one yeah. another. Well, it's the same thing, like, that's why I like Pacific Rim, because yeah. it was yeah. giant robots versus Mr. giant monsters, yeah. which you can't really get any better than that. <laughs> now, I don't actually know. Did Godzilla come before King Kong? Uh, that's a good question. I think King Kong came before that. Oh, that damn monkey. Yeah, I'm pretty sure King Kong came before that, and... I do love the classic Kong versus Godzilla. King Kong first came out in 1933. Godzilla was 1954. Ah, damn it. I still like Godzilla better. (laughs) Well, I I really like all these kaiju movies. Even going back to... I forgot what the one was. I can't remember now. um, I got a question for you, Ray. Godzilla versus the Dragon Zord would win. Oh, man, you're stealing your power in your Godzilla. Godzilla took on Mechagodzilla. And yeah. Won, so. Yeah, but it's the Dragon Sword. Yeah, but the Dragon Sword. Godzilla took on Mechagodzilla. It's the Dragon Sword. <laughs> he took on, like, everybody. Um, and that brings me back to, like, one of my favorite video games growing up for the GameCube mm-hmm. was Godzilla Destroy All Monsters. Yep. And it was basically Super Smash Bros., but with Godzilla characters. <laughs> yeah. I had so much fun with that. I wish they would remaster and bring it back. Yeah. So much fun. There was no storyline or anything. It was just monsters fighting each other in different locations. It was great. I loved uh, Gigan. Gigan is his name? Yep. Oh. The one that had, like, the mm-hmm. claws. Yeah, yep. he was my boy. And then Angiris I liked, too. Oh, man. All right, number one. All right, well, the final stretch, people. I'm going to throw up an honorary mention before I get to my first one. And this one almost beat out Lord of the Rings. It was in Jurassic Park, the original. When they first get into the park and they see the bronchiosaur next to the Jeep, and mainly it's because it's one of the first, like, real, like, good advancements in CGI. Mm-hmm. And one of the best iterations of, like, a di- and one of the first uh, iterations of dinosaurs on screen. So I was like, looking back at it now, it, lo- it gets a little bit taken out of it because compared to now, the CGI kind of does look like crap a little bit. Yeah. But going with the rest of the Jurassic Park movie, though, the animatronics was unbelievable. I wish they kind of stayed with that mm-hmm. for that the whole franchise yeah. because the newer ones now rely too much on CGI, and I don't really like it as much. The, ro- the robot was just really – the animatronics were just so yeah. much better. CGI costs less. And so that this now that we have that honorary mention out of the way mm-hmm. – <laughs> And this is going to come as a shock to probably everybody listening because I don't come off as a big Harry Potter fan. But my number one moment, movie moment, 
goes around with um, the Deathly Hallows Part 2. Yep. And it follows one of the visions with Snape admitting to him being the tragic hero of the entire series for me. Because, you know, you have Harry, but was he really a tragic hero? Not really. He wasn't away, but, like, this scene with Snape brings about, like, up until that point, you think he was kind of a dick and hated Harry. But meanwhile, you have Dumbledore in the background that was training him up to Harry to a point just to be a pig for slaughter because in order to get rid of the Horcruxes, he had to die. Mm. I, I don't know if you guys saw all the movies, but... Uh, I've seen a few. I haven't seen them all. Um, but, prefer the yeah, books. Yeah, in, in the moment, Snape is like talking with Dumbledore right before... And this is why I have to go back and check to see if this wasn't in Half-Blood Prince. I'm pretty sure it was in Deathly Hallows Part 2 when he was about to die. But he's talking to Dumbledore before Snape... Spoiler, Snape kills mm -hmm. Dumbledore as part of the plan. Um, and how he, in the series, has saved Harry a couple times without ever taking credit or without being noticed. Because he reveals his Patronus, which mm -hmm. is a spell to protect... Um, you from the Dementors, and yep. it's the same Patronus as Harry's mother, and he did it because he was in love with Harry's mom originally, and then it goes back to, like, they have flashbacks in the movies, and I'm pretty sure the books, I, I don't remember in the books because they're a little fuzzy, but um, he was bullied by Harry's dad and his friends in the in the movies, and was alienated, and he was kind of he was friends with um, Lillian before James mattered. Yeah. So he goes way back with the Potter family more so than you would realize. Hmm. And this entire time, he's like supposed to be this dick and supposed to be this mean guy. But the moments that he has with Harry, where he's kind of torturing Harry a little bit, is making him stronger to fight back against Voldemort. Even though he's kind of like this double agent sort of character, and in the end, he dies a hero because it's revealed to you and to the audience that he always had the good heart that everybody thought he didn't have. So he did a lot more than for Harry than you would say Dumbledore almost. So that's kind of like the, Oh, I always had, a, I was always kind of, uh, I had a, I always had a soft spot for the hero that goes unnoticed. The hero that kind of fades in the background. That's okay. Sounds like Batman. No, because Batman's in the forefront. Snape's not in the forefront at all. He's like the guy who does the right thing, not for the credit, but because it's the right thing to do. So he's the hero that Hogwarts is not the one that needs right he's now. He's the unsung hero. That's what I was getting at. He's the uh, he's one of the unsung heroes in that entire franchise. And for me, it's one of like the movies and cinema that sticks out to me as being that unsung hero part. I get that. It, it got me a little emotional, not going to lie, and it made me appreciate Snape a little bit more as a character. And then, of course, Alan Rickman. Rest in peace to him. Rest in peace, Alan. You know you don't have to take a drink for every time we do a rest in peace, right? Uh, yeah, that's tradition. <laughs> well, I'm out of beer anyway, so. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, Harry Potter is my number one. Surprising, I know, but. Wow. That's a whole revelation there, Eric. Thanks yeah, for letting us know. I blew you guys' minds. Mind blown? Yeah. 
You, uh, sir? All right. My number one choice, and you probably already know my number one choice. So I do know your number one choice. You may not know my number one choice, right? Uh, Did you already say what it was? Uh, I already said it earlier. Uh, well, anyway, for everyone who doesn't know, my number one choice. Saving Private Ryan. Ryan. Saving Private Ryan. Yep. Uh, you know, to me, one of the best war movies of all time. Uh, definitely with the, at least the best one that I've been alive for. There's been a few others back in, like, you know, I think All Quiet in the Western Front back in the 30s. That was, like, the groundbreaking work for war films. But um, anyway, get back to Saving Private Ryan. So the scene I picked from that movie is has to be the Omaha Beach scene. That just uh, makes sense. Yep, it's the opening twenty minutes of uh, Storm in Omaha Beach, which they did the filming in Ireland, trying to make it as similar to Omaha as possible. Because uh, I went to when I went to Omaha Beach uh, a couple of years ago, and I was in Blackshear well, more than years now when I was in high school. It, it looks a bit different. I mean, that the beach is still the same, but there's a lot more ads. A lot more like resorts added to it. So it's kind of hard to get that, that feel for it, what it was like. But uh, yeah, that is my my choice, and uh, I like it because it, it depicts like the realism of war and you know what it actually is. That was Tom Hanks, right? Yep. Yeah. And Matt Damon. Yeah, uh, Tom Hanks played the Captain Miller, and the the the, the ranger in charge of finding Pri- Private Ryan, played by Matt Damon. But it was one of the most realistic war scenes imaginable, and you can tell that Steven Spielberg and his entire production crew put their heart and soul into getting it right. Um, yeah, I heard the filming for it wasn't pleasant either. It wasn't. Like, they had to, all the actors had to go through a boot camp with Dale Dye. Uh, so it was, it was kind of a tough experience. It's so. one of the most iconic battles in history, too. It is. Um, it's, yeah, it, it's definitely my top five important battles of the world world but this is definitely my uh my favorite scene and i'm just if you just going back reviewing it and all over again because i've oh, I've, seen the, I've seen the damn movie like a thousand times already mm-hmm. uh you pick up my little things like you notice like the unit badges like all right you, you can tell like who's a ranger like the ranger symbol that you can tell is with the 29th infantry they got like the yin and yang symbol on which i, I can't I probably didn't describe it right uh and then, yeah, you, you got that. You got the fact that they use, I think, actual actual amputees as extras in that. Hmm. Like the guys who are missing their arms and their legs. I did not know that. That's interesting. Yep. And then um, the guy, um, like, like like the scene I freaked the crap out of me when I was a kid was the, the guy with his guts hanging out. So. It's Fubar. Fubar. Yeah, it is Fubar. <laughs> uh, that, like. The, I know it's stuck. Yeah. The, the props and the, like, everything looks realistic. And then. Uh, also, the thing you probably, probably didn't know about was, uh, remember in when they stormed the beach, those two uh, American soldiers gunned those Germans down when they're trying to surrender? Yep. And when I was a kid, I don't know why, we, we put the subtitles on, and it says, like, speaking Czech. I'm like, huh, they're, they're German. Why are they speaking Czech? It's like two different countries. Um, and it was only a few years after, like, I was like 15 or so, I read about D-Day and, like, the Western Front and all that in the war. And I realized, like, oh, wow, Stephen did his research. Because actually along, like, the, the French coast in, in France, there was a lot of uh, European, like, soldiers from, from Europeans from, like, conquered parts that Germany had conquered that the Germans had pressed into service to fight for them. So wow. that's why you guys speak in Czechoslovakian. That's, that's why, interesting. Yeah, you guys speaking Polish, Russian, like, dialects of like, Russian, Ukrainian. And actually um, – I heard of one story, this guy who was, I think, in pr- 
suppressed. I think he fought for the Chinese in the 30s, got captured by the Japanese, and then ended up fighting for the Germans, which I have to find the story about him because um, I, I, I'm getting like the, the, the stories wrong. But it was like, fought for the Japanese, got captured by the Russians, and then got captured by the Germans. So he fought in like three different wars, and he, he got captured in Normandy. So I thought that was interesting. But anyway, anyway. so yeah, th th that's not my favorite scene for uh, that movie, which like the whole movie is full of great scenes. And, uh, you know, showing uh, John Miller's character, his hand shaking, definitely he's going through like PTSD and he's trying to hide it for his men. Um, you know, you got like full grown, you know, men breaking down, crying, which I'm like, when you're a kid, you're like, oh man, why are they doing that? that, that that's so weak. And as you get older, you realize like, shit, I would probably do the same thing too, going through that. Through that. And uh, yeah, I know a lot of veterans who watched it said it was... Like, it, it brought them back to, you know, Storm on the Beach on June 6th. Yeah. And I remember, because me and you went this past year yep. when they were showing it in theaters, had my first drink in the uh, in the actual <laughs> movie theater. Yep. Because in Buckland Hill, you can bring alcoholic mm -hmm. beverages in the theater. And I remember talking to you about this afterwards, mm -hmm. about how unwise the military was oh, with their strategy yeah. with that battle. Because you could have very just easily sent in air support and bombed the shit out of that entire beach before they even came up. Uh, yeah. Funny thing. I'll sidetrack a little bit. They actually did like the plan was, all right, we'll have a short naval bombardment from the ships. Right. And then we'll fly all these bombers overhead from the air force and they'll bomb the beach and it'll be a walk in the park. Uh, funny thing about that. The, 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 the weather was so bad and those are, they were afraid of bombing their own troops that, most of the bomber landed inland, so they were totally ineffective. Oh, so they missed the mark. They missed the mark, uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Like, hey, man, this is 1944. There were no smart bombs. There was no, like, computer true. computers back then. But, uh, yeah, so, and, like, the whole movie itself is just a beautiful masterpiece. I, I, I'm telling you, it's one of my favorite war movies. Uh, favorite movie? Oh, man, my favorite movie. It's It's got to be up there. I could not tell you what my favorite movie is right now. I have to think about that. I got so many. Okay. I, I well, we'll, we'll return to that at a later yeah, moment in time. But, well, speaking about World War II, did you watch They Shall Not Grow Old? Yes, I did, by Peter Jackson. Did you see it in the theaters? I did, yeah, in IMAX. Yeah, same here. Yeah, it was really good. It was, you had to see it in the theaters. It was a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah. it was really good. Yeah, I, and I, Speaking I, of Peter Jackson. Yeah. Because yeah, he did all the footage for that, so or yeah. he restored it all. Yeah, and it was really good. It was, and what you know, what I liked about that with in that move and with Sonic World is uh, Peter would find like you know the films like of the soldiers, and then he would try to find like all right, which units these guys were in, yeah. where they got recruited from in England, and then he would hire actors to speak he their. Put a, yeah, he put a lot of work yeah. into that. Did Did you say for the um, the end part where he talked about everything? Yeah. How he found like all the costumes, not costumes. I'm sorry, uniforms. Yeah, the uniforms, like, the, the original uniforms, and had people, mm -hmm. you know, wear them. Yeah, and, and he got like the sound effects from the uh, yeah. uh, artillery by having the New Zealand artillery fire. Yeah, it was really good. Yeah. I thought that was really cool. It was really cool. Did we, did you go? Did you go to see that, Eric? Did I take you there? I no? did not see that one. Ah, uh, but we'll have to watch. You have to watch that too. It was really good. I liked yeah. it a lot. You'll, you'll like this documentary, but uh, yeah, sorry, guys. So that was my number two for uh, you know, mean, my favorite movie. Number one. Oh, number one. Sorry, yeah. <laughs> we already did number two. <laughs> yeah, sidetracking again. So, uh, yeah. Which, I, yeah. 
which leads us to the last mm-hmm. movie moment. Uh, Send us yeah, home. It's yeah. a lot of pressure here. Yes, um, it, yes it is. Right so my, well, I would say my number one movie mm-hmm. of all time and number one movie moment is going to have to go with Star Wars Empire Strikes yeah, Back. Yeah, there we are. I know everyone says A New Hope, but Empire Strikes Back is my favorite Star mm-hmm. Wars movie. Absolutely. Quite possibly my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my favorite moment is probably when they're in Bespin. Yep. And okay. they freeze Han Solo in Carbonite, which then proceeds to Luke finding out that Darth Vader is his father, mm-hmm. leading to that iconic fight. And then basically iconic, the yeah. end, maybe half hour of the movie, where that picks off, because you basically see how the rebels basically are destroyed. I mean, even starting from the beginning yeah, Hoth, with Hoth. I was going to say, I was surprised that wasn't number well, one. I mean, I like Hoth, but like, I think yeah. it really just brings it all together when you right. see almost every single individual main character just get destroyed. Yeah. Like, Luke loses his hand, Han's frozen in carbonite, Leia is basically shocked because Han professes his love for her, mm-hmm. and then is frozen in carbonite. So basically, you see almost every single character lose. What about Wedge Antilles? <sighs> Wedge. That's uh, that's, my Matt's, that's Matt's favorite character. Yeah. My friend Matt's nice. favorite character. He actually, when we went to Star Wars Celebration, we went to an autograph dealer, mm-hmm. and he had an autograph picture by Wedge, so <sighs> Matt ended up buying nice. that. Um, that's awesome. But yeah, all in all, I think that's probably my favorite movie, favorite uh, movie moment. Um, I think that just brings the whole trilogy together as a whole. Yeah. You know, it's like you said before, you don't see a lot of movies where the bad guy wins. The bad yeah. guys win. And I think that whole movie, and then even when Luke is skipping out on Yoda to save his friends, even though Yoda knows how it's going to end. And there's like, in that movie, there is not one bad moment in that movie. Through and through that movie is gold. Gold all the way through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. Even going through the Astro Field, and it introduces probably like one of my other favorite characters, Boba Fett. Yep. So. It, uh, I classic like- movie. I liked uh, Zeb, the old rebel pilot, you know, in the first 20 minutes before he gets killed. <laughs> and, and then you wonder after this movie comes out, and Return of the Jedi was good too. Mm-hmm. What the hell happened to Star Wars after that? Uh, George, that's another, <laughs> that's another hour, that's another three hour, four hour discussion. You have such a golden movie, and now here we are. Yep. Uh, you know, this is proving one point, though. Uh, remember how in, when Endgame came out and people who were uh, jerks, you know, were spoiling it on Facebook or Instagram, like what happened, like oh, Tony Stark and all that? No. Can you imagine the hatred people got when they came out of the theaters back in, what, 83, saying like, wow, who would have thought that uh, Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? Unless you were, I believe, Russian. Because in Russian, Vader means father. So it's literally Darth father in another language. <laughs> yeah. So if unless you were of that mm-hmm. ethnicity and that rate or that from that culture, yeah. you didn't know what it meant. Yeah. But Because uh, <laughs> I think I was watching either behind the scenes or I was reading something about it. And they were like, oh, yeah, in another language, Darth Vader really means Darth father. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Russian or Ukrainian, one of the two. Uh, I got it. That's like a good meme. American tourist, sh- American fan, shocked when uh, when they find out that Luke, Luke is uh, Darth Vader's son. 
the Russian smiles in communism. <laughs> <laughs> I really, I really wish though that I had watched that movie without knowing it yet, mm-hmm. because because I'm a youngin, mm-hmm. and that movie had already been out for a while. By the time I went to go watch it, mm-hmm. decades after it came out, I already knew Darth Vader was his father. So there wasn't uh. um, there wasn't that shock factor, and I kind of wish that I was around the time where it actually first came out. Hey, guy. I uh, I first saw it in the old VHS up in uh, my grandparents' cottage of Benotis, so, yeah. You missed out. I did. Yeah. I still did. have the VHSs right over here. That's oh, I yep. got I got some more original copies still lying around. Yeah. You, you got to keep those because it's very hard to find the original. I actually tried using yeah. a VCR to watch one, and it kind of messed up with the tape, so I don't do it anymore. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. I was gonna say those are worth quite a bit. Now. Yeah. Well, they're they're beat up and worn out because yeah. I watched them so many times. <laughs> I'm bummed because I had Jurassic Park the original on cassette mm-hmm. or VHS rather, but the box was torn because now even Jurassic Park is worth a lot. I wouldn't sell those. I, I don't think I I'd sell it either, much. but. Oh man. But yeah, you gotta if you're watching Star Wars, you gotta watch the originals like uncut. Unfortunately, yeah, yeah. all you can find on DVD is the special editions. Yeah, and I have like the really bad special editions. Yeah, and I have yeah. like the the Blu-ray of the old ones mm-hmm. now, and it's just not the same. The C the CGI and the effects that they add just doesn't. It just looks too weird. That's it's done. it's even the same with freaking um, Phantom Menace too. Yeah, I watched the Blu-ray edition of Phantom Menace a few months ago, and I was like. This looks like crap with the added CGI. The, 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 the blue, the, the, the add anything to the story? No, it, it really didn't. I mean, people like to shit on Phantom Menace. Don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but I mean, Darth Maul was glorious yeah, as a bad guy. He was. And there were some moments in that. I mean, even even in the Last Jedi, there were moments that were good. So I, there's not one Star Wars movie that's a hundred percent crap. Maybe ninety five percent, but there's still that five percent that is good. Mm-hmm. But again, hundred percent of Empire Strikes Back is just perfection. Yeah, yeah, it's. I think that's. I think it's the fan favorite, honestly. Yeah, I yeah. There's a majority of Star Wars fans, I would mm-hmm. say, like that one, the best, if not a New Hope. I was thinking of the Clone Wars, where while Anakin and Padme are falling in love on Naboo, and Obi Wan is. Uh, Trying to you know fight for his life to uncover the well, alien. At least she didn't say anything with Jar Jar. <laughs> He's like an ex, a real good like son. The Clone Wars animated show or the movie? Oh no no no! Oh come on! The no, the Clone Wars movie is, is great, right? Yeah. Some other movie. I was yeah. gonna say the animated show. The, yeah, the animated, animated show is yeah. awesome. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. if any That's one reason I'm excited for Star Wars Celebration. Yeah. Next year. It's because it's the either thirtieth or fortieth anniversary of Empire Strikes Back. So. Oh, I didn't even know that. And it's going to be in California, so me and Matt, shout out to Matt, are probably going to go to the Star Wars land too, just so we can check it out. I need to go there eventually. Even though it's supposedly it's failing, apparently it's really cool. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to go and sit in the Millennium Falcon. Hell yeah. Uh, I want a snow speeder. Snow speeders are cool. Mm -hmm. I want want my own TIE fighter. Not TIE fighter, X-Wing. Wow, that was almost... Catastrophic. Hey, you like the X Wing. I, I like the X Wing the best. What's your favorite fighter? Falcon. Falcon? Hands yeah. down. <laughs> I, I like the Y Wing. Hands y-wing. down, it's the Falcon yeah. all the time. 
I I love the coloration on Poe's X-wing. Though. Yeah, Poe's the X-wing red and black is. Really nice. is yeah. I have a Funko Pop of. of no, it's orange Poe's. and black. Is it orange and black? Yeah. Uh, wouldn't Poe's surprise me. Orange and black. The um, Kylo Ren's new Tie Fighter is red and black. Okay, I'm terrible with colors, so. Yeah, I'm sure. Gonna, I'm gonna <laughs> agree with you. But yeah, always the Falcon for me. Falcon is good. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so that's our movie moments. Yeah, we'll be right back with our nature section. Also, before before we sound off for part two, if you guys have any of your favorite mo- movie yeah. moments you want to share, we would love to hear it. I, I'd like to see what some of our yeah. fans think. Yeah, or if you guys think we missed good parts of our movies. Yeah, that too. Let us know. Yeah. All right. Stay tuned, guys. <laughs>